the antidote. 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 You're listening to the antidote with Dave Hawkins. With Christian music that doesn't suck. Thanks for connecting with The Antidote. I'm Dave Hawkins. Regular listeners to this program know that I like to bring in music that covers every possible genre. Well, okay, except for country. I can't stand that. Anyway, tonight is no different from most. What you're hearing in the background is Endless Rest from the British Columbia-based band The Monarch. Overall, their music, I guess, would be considered post-metal even though most of the songs do include vocals. But why not stretch boundaries, right? I've often spoken with artists where we speak about the evolution of their faith and how their perspective may have changed over the years. That's definitely been the case with the Monarch frontman, Jesse Law. You'll be hearing all about that a bit later on. Something else about the band is their incredibly long songs. So we won't be hearing too many but part of the song Radiance does come in during the first part of the antidote's conversation with Jesse. From Nanaimo, British Columbia, Jesse Law of The Monarch meets with the antidote. Jesse, thanks for coming for a talk. Hey, no worries. Thanks for having me. Why don't we start off by making something hard for you? What about taking us back to day one of The Monarch? How did it all begin? <laughs> okay. Uh, I love it. Um... I think I was 19 and I had just begun to develop an appreciation of this sort of post-metal music genre. I had grown up, like in my earlier teenage years, I was listening to all the metal that I could find, really. I was listening to Lamb of God, Slipknot. You know, my friends, I was friends with punks and metalheads in high school and they were just, you know, playing metal. And uh, I had just kind of got into playing bass guitar and I was learning riffs. I was having fun. I was discovering that, like, you know, I like the energy of heavy music, but like, typically speaking, metal is kind of a fast genre of music often. And I started hearing some bands. I think one of the first ones would be the band um, Isis or maybe also the band Giant, who later become a band called Brave Young. And they were playing this really slow, heavy kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And I was really drawn to that. But, you know, when I was 19 and going to Bible college, I was fine with secular music, but I wanted to find, uh, you know, a, a Christian take on that. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find, and I actually maybe still have never really found, like some Christian forward post-metal. And so I I was sort of thinking about that at the time. And I was like, well, I write music. I could write some Christian post-metal at the time. You know, this is 19. I was, this is 15 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I started to do that. And then that's just kind of how it started. I started in Guitar Pro, uh, the little MIDI guitar project that makes, uh, (laughs) are you you familiar with that program? Oh, man. Yes, (laughs) very much so. Yeah, so you put in a riff, and it sounds like uh, a Super Mario Bowser boss battle, <laughs> kind of like 8-bit, you know, chip tune kind of thing. 
I started writing my riffs in there. I took my guitar and I tuned it to drop A because I thought, oh, that's real low, and uh, started writing slow metal. And that's that's how it started, man. So let me get this straight. When you started The Monarch, it was all you. You were the only member. Yes, and it has been like that for a long time. I think our first show that I played with anyone was 2019. Oh, wow. That's wild. Yeah. I've always been involved in other projects that have been like in a small scale, kind of like touring Western Canada kind of scale successful and so therefore busy. And uh, I've always kind of, for better or worse, I've kind of backburnered this project for more of its life than I've put it on the front burner, which has changed now because those other projects have um, gone their way. And uh, this is what I have left. And I'm, I'm very happy and grateful that these past couple years I've been able to focus on it because it, it gives me life. It's really my favorite type of music. And um, getting to realize it with people and play it for real is just it's very special, you know? So what you're really saying is that you got fired from the other bands and now you're just going back to the dregs. <laughs> <laughs> you're funny. <laughs> I actually broke one of the other bands up, kind of. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, things were fine, but uh, no, it, everyone everyone moved on. <laughs> so uh, I, it gave me time to focus. Yeah, it kind of caused me to have a a change in perspective and say like, well, now you can finally do what you've sort of always wished you had time to do. Well, song number one that I was able to find from the Monarch was Radiance, and you released that song a decade ago. Now you have to tell me, like, was it meant to test the waters of the music scene? Or did you really have a firm idea of the direction you wanted the Monarch to take? Great question. I've always had a very clear idea of how I wanted this band to sound. I, I feel as though I wear my influences like very much on the sleeve when it comes to the Monarch. Like I simultaneously fell in love with Isis, Russian Circles, oh, Mouth of the Architect... Um, just all these bands that aren't afraid to put out a, you know, an eight, nine, ten minute song. I actually would, you know, pick my guitar up and, and I would sort of start jamming on a longer form riff and just all these different ways I could express that riff and like build something up over three minutes or whatever started kind of popping into my head. And Radiance is a long one. It's like 11 minutes or something. 11 minutes. Yeah, and you know what? There's just something, I'm just one of those people that has never had a problem with songs that are long, as long as there is clear development or intent behind what's happening. Of course, you've also killed any opportunity of getting onto a radio station. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. I don't know. That consideration has never been as forefront for me as, how does this song that I'm wanting to write sound? It's funny, I've tried to write shorter songs, and I, I, I succeed in writing, you know, five, six-minute songs, rarely, here and there. But um, I just find that it, it just takes some time, and, and I'm okay with a song taking some time. Um, I know the radio stations aren't, and it's all right. <laughs> except for me. Well, except for you. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Thank you. 
going to talk about Denimo. Now, I've been to the city a couple times, but, you know, I've never checked into the music scene. What's it like? Um, I have to thank the music scene of Nanaimo for really helping me become somebody who sees my friends making bands, booking a local hall, playing a show, a couple hundred of our friends coming out and just having an, an incredible time. I grew up in Nanaimo at a time 20 years ago. <laughs> I'm 34. Um, <laughs> when there were the right people in the right circumstances for us to have an excellent all-ages music scene. Almost every weekend there was a show that was between 2 and $5. And, you know, super high-end production? No. But there were like sometimes 300 people there, which is for Nanaimo a huge show mm -hmm. and you know we were getting talent from vancouver talent from victoria stuff from the sort of cascadian region of the states washington portland you know and all these bands these guys were just killing it we had so much excellent musical talent some of my favorite bands i've ever seen to this day started and ended in nanaimo they're not carrying on they were a product of their time right but like i grew up influenced by all that and anyway so it, it's changed so much like right now we do not have hardly any semblance of an all-ages scene which is not great but i mean where we don't have that we certainly do have like a couple venues in town that have been extremely dedicated to fostering very creative music nanamo's music scene is it's not pigeonholed into any particular genre Mm -hmm. Oh, heck, if it was, I would have to say it would it would be like weird. If you want to do a solo looping set of your voice and a glockenspiel at the Vault Cafe, people are going to show up and watch it. <laughs> it's uh, it's very creative. Anyway, yeah, Nanamo's scene is really diverse, man. I could see one potential negative with living on Vancouver Island, and that would be playing shows anywhere that's off the island. I mean, it would have to be a pain taking the ferry to play a gig in Vancouver. You're 100% correct. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> Especially because the prices for all of that stuff, they've trended upward for a while now, you know? I'll be honest with you, the Monarch, we're most certainly going to be connecting with a few bands in Vancouver uh, next year. We were thinking about it this year. And uh, yeah, just the logistics of... Uh, you know, dealing with the guys in the band and our families and then like finding a venue, finding a promoter, finding the other bands, making it all look even reasonably possible to cover the costs for it. It was discouraging. So now you and I have been talking about your very first song, but it wasn't until 2013 when I first heard about The Monarch. And that was the year you released World Without End. Yes. You gave the release a spiritual theme. You especially hear that on songs like For a Thousand Years. Definitely. I'm not sure like if at that time I was reading the book of Revelation. It's actually quite likely that I was like studying it. I wrote a lot of that material and I think recorded it very nearly after my sort of one year stint at um, a Bible college program here on the island. Mm -hmm. I mean, the book of Revelation... There's just so much art that can flow from all of that. Um, it's so post-metal. It's, it's incredibly post-metal. I mean, one of my favorite death metal bands, Job for a Cowboy, they have an album called Genesis, and the lyrical focus of the entire album, uh, and they're, they're absolutely not Christians, but uh, 
it kind of just sounds like they're reading from the book of revelation the entire album so i mean it's a metal book (laughs) there's (laughs) there's no two ways around that but yeah when you reference that one song for a thousand years like the whole theme with the world without ndp is is kind of like a sigh of relief when all the chaos and all the strife around you kind of can be resolved you know when the proverbial good guys win when you know the happy ending occurs and uh for me most certainly at the time that would have been the victorious jesus from the book of revelation and and that song is very much about me you know my posture towards that deity in that song it'll always be a very personal song to me because uh i think i wrote a good song because that feeling resonates with me very strongly even 10 years Nine or ten years later, you know what I mean? Like when I sing it, even in rehearsals, I feel something, even all this time later. This is Jesse Law, and you've discovered The Monarch on The Antidote.
Definitely the most worshipful song released by the monarch. That was for a thousand years. I will lay my face on the ground before thee. As I mentioned at the head of the show, faith often doesn't stay the same. Let's hear about that from Jesse. In a text you told me, I've deconstructed the majority of my Christianity in years since, but maintained some core beliefs about the Jesus story and teachings. That must yeah. have been a major change for you. Yeah. Yeah, it happened um, happened about seven years ago. You know, I just grew up going to Baptist churches in small town Vancouver Island my whole life. Uh, my mom raised me, and she, um, she was a Christian, still is a Christian. You know, when I was going to Bible college, and I was going, I've been going to church most of my life every Sunday— I, I guess, like, in a zoomed-out way to not, like, go too deep into the reads, like, um, just some things happened at a church that I was very active at, like, on the worship team. Uh, my best friend and his wife were leading a, a small group. Very, very deep. Like, going to all the sort of not-Sunday extras you could tack on. And not because I felt like I had to at all. You know, I wanted to. I was I was 25. I was a young man who was single and working and you know, sure. free to do as I please. And I was I was choosing to go to those things. But um, it just became very obvious in kind of a short period of time after I'd been invested there for, you know, at least three or four years that like the beliefs of that church, they were restrictive to me in terms of like most especially with respect to the LGBTQ community and how they believed and treated those people, many of whom were rapidly becoming my closest friends and who were expressing to me that uh, they felt a lot of hurtful and negative things coming from the words and the actions of people that I, I associated with. Yeah, I've seen that happen. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's not a new story at all, unfortunately. It's not even a Christian story. I, I basically very much became invested in wanting to become a good ally to the queer community because I very much see, like that being a very obvious and modern embodiment of marginalized people very much with whom you know the person of jesus would be 
fighting for them first and foremost. So that led me to part ways with that church I was a part of, which also led me to sort of re-examine a lot of my own beliefs. And so seven, eight years later, what I'm left with is, is very much still valuing the Gospels, very much still valuing, so much still valuing and believing in the, the teachings and the example of Jesus, but holding very loosely anything else and um, outright rejecting a fair bit as well. That's kind of where I'm at these days. Okay, so I guess maybe what I should be asking about how your faith journey has changed your life, do you consider it a positive? I I do, and I mean, I hope the same for anybody who has, you know, a set of beliefs that start one thing, change into others, disappear entirely, and then maybe new things are reformed, or maybe they're not. I think one of the biggest things that sort of engaging with, like, the person or the deity of Jesus in the Christian faith at that time did to me was sort of put before me this person who just continually shows empathy and continually shows compassion, radically so, to all all kinds of people that were being hated on and uh, excluded from everything else in life. And uh, I think that on a fundamental level, that did something good for me, because every now and then I'll be talking with someone who's Let's just say they're irreligious. I, I don't really know what their beliefs are, but and and we'll be talking about you know say uh, you know Vancouver Island has a pretty bad homelessness crisis right now, mm-hmm. unhoused people's crisis, and uh, I'll be talking to them and I get how big and multifaceted that issue is, and and you know my friends have had stuff stolen from them from unhoused folks. We've all had a number of uncomfortable and unfortunate experiences with this community, but I mean. I just don't feel okay with dismissing them as less than human. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people do. And I'm, I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm not saying that I'm better than anyone else. But there's some kind of like thing inside of my heart still that's just like, you can't think that way about a person, even if they're miserable. I mean, like everyone's got their line. Like when you consider, you know, historical monsters or serial killers, it's pretty hard to have any empathy. But I mean, I'm just saying that like in general, for me, having that heritage, that spiritual story, yeah, it, it built up a lot of compassion and empathy in me that hasn't left. And I like that. So I mean, that that's at least one thing I can think of that's been positive for me about my sort of background and growing up in the church. And, you know, it fostered a fostered a a caring for other people attitude in me. That's sort of like what informs my politics and my day-to-day very much still, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, here we've been talking about your faith and how it's altered or changed over the years. So now we should spin it back to the music. Sure. So maybe I'm going to put you on the spot with this one. In 2015, The Monarch made a couple of announcements about a new EP that was about to be released. It never happened. <laughs> you are putting me on the spot. I <laughs> uh, appreciate the, the digging or the homework you've done, too. Um, yeah, I mean, that would have been 2015. How long ago was that? Seven years ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was still very much involved in those other projects. And um, I had hopes and ambitions to put things out. And uh, it never happened. Um, not yet, anyway. 
I have this kind of uncomfortable amount of nearly finished music on my hard drives. If you're writing and recording your own stuff, which uh, 98% of the time I am, it's uh, it's so easy to get like 90% finished something and then get kind of stuck in the reeds trying to, you know, get this part perfect or that thing perfect. And then you never get anywhere. And you find out later, like, oh, my God, I spent a month trying to EQ that thing correctly. No one's even going to notice or care about that. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I fully understand that. And I'm, I'm trying to do better. You know, I'm trying to cultivate that sense of judiciousness better. But um, so uh, maybe you asking me that question may be leading to like, well, when is new stuff coming out? Um I think part of part of what changed about that statement, there's a new EP coming, is that I actually wrote more things that fit together nicely as an LP, which is the current plan for us. We did just release a single a couple, like a month and a bit ago, um, the first new thing we've put out in some years, and it's the first single off of a collection of about six or seven songs that will uh, make up an LP, the very first LP for this band. And... Um, yeah, I think that's kind of what happened, if I recall correctly. I mean, seven years ago, I'm a little blurry. But yeah, I think I wrote some more stuff and decided an EP is the wrong way to go. And then also just was a poor steward of my time. <laughs> You've spoken about the current single, but there was something in between. Because, yes. I mean, after the massively long gap after World Without End, you did bring out the 2019 single, Merely Death. Yes. So you didn't actually drop off the edge of the world. No, we just hang out on the edge. (laughs) But you know, something about the song is, I find it hard to talk about death as merely. Maybe you should fill us in about the song. Ah, sure. Um, So that song was very much informed by my very plain Christian worldview at the time. I, I mean, plain as in like, you know, that's... That's just very much what I would have said to anyone who asks, you know, like, hey, what do you believe? I would have been said, oh, I'm, I'm very much a Christian at that time. Um, so even in 2019, you'd considered yourself Christian? Much more so than now. But um, oh, you're touching on a, a, a good point here. When I wrote that song was actually like two years before it got released. <laughs> so okay. when it got released, I, I definitely was deconstructing my faith at that time. But here, here's the thing. This will kind of be a callback to what I mentioned about Rosetta earlier in our conversation here. Like, that song's very much about, like, the resurrection of Jesus. I also wrote it based on a friend of mine's struggles they were going through in life at the time. They, they were an artist in a city um, that was just finding a lot of difficulty connecting, difficult finding their niche in a newer, bigger city and feeling just kind of discouraged by all of that. And so for me with that song, you know, I had the sort of resurrection and the deity of the person of Jesus in mind with that song. But beyond that, I also had in mind just the idea of, you know, struggling through something and coming out on the other end with some triumph. And I think the sound of that song is very much that. It sounds dismal at first. It sounds pensive in the middle. And then there's this energy that swells into a massive major chord progression that to me always leaves me feeling hopeful sure and the lyrical themes there again are very much you could interpret them as christian because at the time they were written that's mostly what i had in mind but that yeah like they're about uh digging your feet in and and making your way through some hardship and like yeah that sucks but like it can be done 
I kind of wrote that to encourage my friend at the time. And did it help him? Uh, I never told them that it was about them. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I never did. Um, you know, what? I, I think that they made it out all right. I feel like they didn't need to know that. But for me, it still very much embodies all those sentiments.
Merely Death, one of the singles from The Monarch. This band has never been prolific. I mean, their entire discography totals just seven songs. But all of them are worth listening to. Something else that's worth hearing is next week's guest on The Antidote. The hard rock band Three Days Under comes for a talk about the band's roots, the purpose of their music, and why their latest single, Bring Out Your Dead, could be a new Halloween favorite. But for tonight, there's still lots more to be heard from Jesse Law of the Monarch as we chat about their latest music, the single, Committed to Burning. Enjoy this, and we'll see you next week. Here's something I've been wondering about, now it's my chance to ask. The Monarch. I'm guessing about the name. So either it's based on the British Columbia mountain called the Monarch, or it relates to Christ. Or am I wrong on both counts? Oh, okay, cool. I didn't know about that mountain. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> um, when I was 19 and coming up with this you know, idea, this project, yeah, I very much wanted to find a name that, I mean, let's be real, anybody wanting to call any band anything wants the name to sort of roll off the tongue nice, to sound mm-hmm. okay, you know? So I, I always had that in mind, and I happened to just like how the Monarch sounds as a band name. But I wanted something that was talking about, yeah, the sort of the kingship of the god that I believed in. And so I landed on that name. And I've I've had to sort of, as my beliefs and who I am has changed a bit, I don't want to rename this band. I like that name. How can that be meaningful to me in a different way? Because it, it, it isn't quite as meaningful to me anymore to just be like, yeah, I named this band because I believe that my God is my king. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't resonate the same way with me anymore. So we all do this. We can make new meaning out of things that fail us at a time, right? I like the name now in that this band has always served as an outlet for me to sort of express my my feelings on the bigger ticket items in life, you know, life, death, the universe, the greater struggles of humanity and myself. And so I, I think having a project called The Monarch is that, you know, a lot of what we focus on or dwell on thematically is based on the powers and, and the sort of greater, weightier things that we uh, are faced with in this life. So it's a, it's a little esoteric to interpret it that way. But to me, it still just means, you know, this project is about the greater forces and the powers of life and the, the bigger topics. That's kind of what it means to me. Now, I'm going to go look up that mountain, though. That sounds great. <laughs> you were super right on the second half of it. Now, here's something I should have asked about earlier. Who are the members of the new era of the monarch? Uh, so I have with me a good friend of mine who's been sort of the longest standing member besides myself. His name is Booth White. He's incredible. Um, before I say anyone else's names, uh, so my favorite band of all time for at least you know a decade now has been a band called Cult of Luna. Yeah. Um, if you're not familiar with them, do yourself a favor. It's it's just remarkable music. Um, they have a bit of a system that I've gleaned from interviews and whatever else in that, like they're a big band. They don't really perform with any less than seven members on stage at a time, including two full drum kits, three guitars, a dedicated synth and additional sounds player, 
uh, a bassist and sometimes two vocalists. Like it's it's and that means the sound guy despises the band. Yes, you're right, but no, they have a sort of an extra member in their band who is a dedicated sound tech for them. Wow. They man, they really have it set up perfect for what they want to achieve. It's enviable, but um, they have a bit of a roster system with their members. So I don't ever really consider anybody who has been in the Monarch to be out of the Monarch. And I tell everyone who plays in the Monarch, like, (laughs) unless something really goes south with us, like, (laughs) I'll kind of always consider you an option if someone else can't make it. Because, I mean, I'm in my early mid-30s. Most of my pals are as well. A lot of people got families, work, on and on. You know how it goes. So right now, my friend James Gautier and uh, my friend Mauro Dallacosta are playing bass and guitar, respectively. But I've had a very good friend of mine, Dane Letourneau, play guitar. My friend Ty Zalt played bass. My good friend Alain Champagne played bass. Um, and my friend Ben Wengel has also played guitar and is now sort of involved with us photographically, as he can't commit to playing guitar right now because him and his wife had another child. So that's the spread. That's all the people that have ever been in the band. Right now, there's just four of us. It's me, Booth, James, and Morrow. And I'm always looking for more. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to find people in this area that want to do this type of music, unfortunately. And that's the crew that's on the latest single, I'm guessing, from The Monarch. Uh, yes and no. I personally record most of our stuff. Moving forward, we're going to have more people's hands involved in the project. But actually, I think that last single, aside from my friends helping me make mixing decisions and some recording decisions, I think I recorded every single thing for the last single. Well, let's talk about it. Committed to burning. Yeah. The opening verse says, Once again, we stand before her, soaked in oil. We ignore the fever, the smoke, and the flames. We forget our children bear the burdens of our consequences. I bury my head deeper in my hands. Now, I do get your intentions with the song, Mm. but what are the odds of the world ever giving up our cars? Oh, I don't know, man. Um, Yeah, the the topic of this song is, uh, I think, is pretty clearly on the nose, uh, sort of a despairing sentiment about the changing climate of our world. And again, how the powers that be in the world we find ourselves in right now Uh, always seem a couple extra degrees too hesitant to really bring about that glorious future. Anyone can envision the world looking more beautiful and better and cleaner and fairer than it does now, but there's just a lot of systems that are pretty intent on keeping it the way it is and not concerned about it getting worse, it seems. So I don't know, I'm, uh, I'm always attempting to cultivate optimism, and I don't always succeed. Sometimes I let that out musically i think this song is it's a bit of a dirge it kind of feels like we're screwed kind of feeling you know what i mean and and sometimes it feels good to just say that out loud and say it with other people um it doesn't lead us to lifting the curse as you said (laughs) necessarily but it's human it's real you know it's uh like i have a degree in chemistry and biology and i did a lot of studying of atmospheric chemistry and stuff in my time when i did get that parchment Yeah, so it made me very aware of the sort of trouble and the woes that our planet faces that way. And um, I don't know. It's it's just tough to to consider. So I wrote a song about it. So you've already alluded to a new album, which I'm assuming that Committed to Burning is going to be a part of. Yes. But now 
you've got to tell us the truth. Are you going to be able to keep the album under two hours running time? (laughs) (laughs) Committed to Burning is a shorter song for us, man. Yes. Yes. I think I actually looked at this the other day, and I think the running time is going to be about 55 minutes. Oh, it's tight. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Someone someone finally giving me that praise for my long-winded musical project. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the truth is that there's only about six or so full musical pieces on it, not excluding a, an interlude or two. So um, that's why. I mean, if I, if I put out a 10, 12-song LP, it would probably be at least an hour and a half. So I don't know if I'll ever do that. <laughs> and what about the rest of the songs? Are they also going to be a dirge? No. Uh, oh, this is cool. I haven't really got to talk to too many people about the thematic concept of this album. Um, it's, it's a collection of feelings and sentiments I have about the world, where we find ourselves in, with people, the environment, just a, a broad range of topics and about how a lot of it's brutal and horrible. And uh, a, a lot of it is a bit of a, a sort of a, a yelling up at the sky saying, can anything here get better? Is it ever going to get better than this? And, you know, it's not, a, it's not a new sentiment. It's just me saying that sentiment. It's just me feeling those things. Because I've been thinking and feeling that a lot. I think a lot of people have been thinking and feeling that lately, you know? Especially over the last couple of years. Especially over the last couple of years. Before we start to move upward. And um, the album is going to be called God, I Hope. And the final song on it is called God, I Hope. And it kind of caps off all the the yelling at the sky sentiments, the things suck down here sentiments with a, I don't know if things can get better, but I really hope they do. And I hope they can. And I sometimes feel like that's all people have to, to hang on to and, and where they find that hope and how they find it. And if they keep it or not, um, you know, it's a very personal thing and it comes and goes, but the end of the day, I always want to be able to at least say, God, I hope, I hope we, get better i hope we do better i can't wait to hear that as i've already mentioned i've been following the monarch for a long time so it's great to finally have a chance to bring you onto the antidote for a talk thanks man that that means a whole lot to me i appreciate it so much <laughs> 